But this morning, I want to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be finishing out uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews. And before I read this passage, I, I kind of want to take you back a, a little bit to uh, seventh grade Ben. All right, there was a uh, junior high that was built, now known as the middle school, uh, but I went in on the eighth grade class, the first eighth grade class of the junior high. But before that, they took the sports teams, the basketball teams in particular, and they put us together uh, from all the schools, even though we were still attending different ones, but we still played as East Carter Junior High at that point. Now, I, you know, that seventh grade year, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of playing time. I'd had a really rough year. You know, there was a lot of life events and circumstances, uh, namely lack of athleticism uh, that really kept me uh, from playing a lot. Um, but I remember there was one time, and this is the first time that we had kind of really ever, uh, you know, kind of played outside of our kind of area, you know, because it was grade schools up until then, and we had these big rivalries uh, between the local grade schools in the county, and that's kind of where we played for the majority of the time. Uh, well, going into a junior high setting, then we were beginning to be, you know, to play and be exposed to some different teams outside of our area. So we're playing this one team that was really, really, uh, well, they exploited our entire team's lack of athleticism basically. Uh, so we were getting beaten really badly. Uh, and, you know, and I was down at the end of the bench and I was goofing around, you know, not paying attention to the game or whatever. And the coach decides it's my time to go in. So I get in there and I had never really been exposed to the world of trash talking on a basketball floor. Now, this was brand new to me. Well, I get out there and this guy who's like, he's basically 37 years old. I mean, really. Uh, and he starts trash talking me and I have no concept what's happening. I'm like, this dude is like upper level quality trash talking. I didn't know how to respond. I just basically, I could respond with two words and it was basically uh, the maternal parent response. Uh, and I'll let you all figure that one out as it, as it hits there. But I didn't know how to come back to it. So I'm just sitting there and this whole time, this message that he comes across is like, you can't do anything against me. You can't do anything against me. I own you. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I have the like worst experience ever going back down the floor because I'm down there and I'm just like, don't throw me the ball. <laughs> don't throw me the ball. They threw me the ball. And I was like, all right, jab, step, left, pump, fake, up and under footwork. And what happened was like, literally, I threw it behind my head. It went in, y'all. It went in. I went running down the floor like Michael Jordan, and I quoted the scripture, I can do all things through Christ. But I told him, we got down to the other end of the floor, and I said, I can do it. He went, try it again. I think, nah, it's all right. But I remember like all of a sudden this stroke of luck, just all of a sudden I had this I can attitude. I uh, went back down the floor and I got the ball again. It didn't end well. Uh, but I'm going to leave the story on the high note of I made the behind the back no look shot that still lives in lore and infamy in the halls of the middle school to this day. At least in my own mind, anyhow. Anyhow, scripture. I want to talk to us about this, this can-do thing this morning. We're going to talk about patient endurance, okay? And the fact 
that if, if you walk away with nothing else from this message this morning, is I want you to understand that you can do the will of God. You can live for Jesus Christ, no matter how much is coming against you or how difficult it may seem. Hebrews chapter 10, going to be reading a little bit of a lengthy passage of Scripture. Now, I'm, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this morning, which is a little bit different for me, but I, this is really wordy, this passage, and the New Living Translation does a, a pretty good job of, uh, of translating this accurately into more of a common vernacular. It makes it a little bit easier for us to understand. If you don't have the um, access to the NLT, we will have all of it up here on the screen for you. So verse 26 starts by saying, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when, you, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come out and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Brief word of prayer this morning before we go on. Father, I pray that you take this time and this word, and that, Lord, that you would, you would anoint it today, that the words that would be spoken would be true, would be accurate, and would be rightly divided this morning. God, I pray for the hearts that receive it, that it would challenge us, it would convict us, and it would bring us comfort. Whatever our hearts and our lives need today, God, I pray that this word does that. Father, I pray right now that I would speak your word through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, this is not typically one of those passages that you're going to read and at the end of it and go, well, hooray, did you read all that about judgment? But the thing with Scripture is, is there are numerous passages of Scripture where you will be challenged by what it says. There will be several passages of Scripture where it will make you uncomfortable in what it says, and it will cause just a, a little bit of anxiousness in you. And, and those are the ones that sometimes we tend to kind of skip over. 
we kind of gloss over just because these are tougher passages of scripture this is the first real challenge in the application or the first real warning in the application section of this book we're coming off of uh, this pas these passages out of 9 and 10 that are giving us assurance and beginning to start becoming real uh, practical and applicable in our lives. And now we find this really first big, significant, lengthy word of warning. And it may be one of the most poignant and one of the most straightforward words of warning of judgment in the entire Bible. Now, one thing that I think we need to make sure that we're clear on before we proceed this morning is this is a warning of God's judgment, but it's written to a church. It is written to people who are confessing to be believers. Oftentimes, we are very guilty of projecting judgment on to everyone other than ourselves. We're worried about warning every other person on the planet other than ourselves. Right? Like, I don't want to be, no, don't judge me. So we want to project that, but understand this morning, this passage that we are going through, this warning, this judgment, this is targeted to the church. So if you're asking this morning, if I'm a believer, are you saying this word of warning and judgment is to me? Yes. Yes. So let's make sure that we filter this through to us and not thinking, boy, there's a lot of other people who aren't here that really need to hear this because it's for us. The writer is continuing to write to the people in this church, these Hebrew believers, they're writing to them, warning them about apostasy or falling away, turning your back on Christ. And that's the first thing that we see really in the first two verses is a warning. In verses 26 and 27, we see, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. That's, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, he's saying that if you sin deliberately and you continue in sin deliberately, no matter what type of profession you make, no matter what type of confession you've made in your past, no matter what your history is, if you are sinning and you continue to do so deliberately, it says there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. What's the message? That even the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, if we deliberately continue in our sins, is sufficient to cover them. That's how dangerous us continuing to justify sin or deliberately continue in dysfunction and live in a non-repentant state. That's how dangerous it is for us that if you are sinning, if I am sinning, and we are not repentant of it, if we're doing it deliberately, then we are taking the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we're saying that in our lives, it's worthless. It's meaningless to us. 
So if you're here this morning and you are in a pattern of deliberate sin and dysfunction, please allow this to serve as a wake-up call to you this morning. Now listen, I wrestled with it. I'm, I'm sorry. I wrestled with this scripture all week this week. And I'm going to be honest with you. There were a lot of things in this that I'm going to say, that last statement being one of them, that I really wish that I could not say. But I will one day give an account for every word that I say from this stage. The way that I lead you, the pastoring of this church, I will one day give an account for. And the truth of God's word is if you have deliberate sin in your life that you're not repenting of, then you need to heed this warning that's getting ready to come up. Because you're toying with eternity, and God does not take kindly to that. So we'll see that here in this next section, which is the judgment, verses 28 through 31. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So basically, what the writer is saying here is like in the old covenant, before the superior things of Jesus, anyone who was guilty of these things, by the word of two or three witnesses, they were put to death. Then it goes on to say, just think. It's, it's, it's forming a question for you here. It wants you to consider this. The writer wants this question to be answered in your thoughts and your mind. Just think how much, more, uh, how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. And he also said, the Lord will judge his own people. Verse 31, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, the writer of Hebrews goes back and quotes Deuteronomy chapter 32 here. And it's verses 35 and 36 in Deuteronomy when he says that, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. The Lord will judge his own people. God, in the book of Deuteronomy, is talking to the nation of Israel before they cross into the promised land. This is before Moses dies. This is before they entered into the land of milk and honey. God is giving this word of warning and judgment to his people, not to the world, not to sinners. He has given it to those who are calling him Lord. So understand that this is something that's really something that is serious for us in our lives. That, listen, it was the greatest moment in your life. If you're here, if you're a believer, if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've been baptized and you're living for him, the greatest moment was that moment that you surrendered your heart and you repented to him. But if you're not living in a repentant lifestyle ongoing and you're, you're deliberately continuing in sin, then you sit in here in danger this morning. And we see this passage of Scripture. That's not my opinion. That's not your opinion. And guess what? It's not the popular opinion either. It's not the popular opinion. But if you have deliberate, unrepentant sin in your life, 
let this serve as a word of warning to you from God's word. The next section that we see is the faithful, is a section that's written to the ones who remain faithful. And that's where I want us to land this morning. Let me read this passage again. Think back, starting with verse 32, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when, you, when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy because you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. You know, that last, one of that last parts of verse 34 says, you accepted all of these things with joy. You accepted the ridicule. You accepted the persecution. You accepted the imprisonment. You, you accepted the suffering for Jesus Christ. Remember when you did those things and when other people were experiencing these things, you went through it with them. You remember that. It says, remember back at the beginning when you were on fire. Remember when you were zealous for God. Remember when you first started this thing. You endured all of that. And guess what? You endured it with joy. How many of you have gone through like being in prison because of your faith? How many of you have taken, had all of your possessions taken from you because of your faith? Now, we may face some form of mockery. We may face some form of ridicule. But here we're learning that these believers at first, they were doing it with joy. Why? Because of what they knew was coming. Of what they knew the promise was to be. Now, I've got three takeaways in here for us this morning, and I want to ask you the first one. But before we get to this first one, I do want to ask you the question, how many of you in here endure true hard times, imprisonment, ridicule, suffering for Jesus Christ? I don't. But yet, do I struggle at times with my joy remaining complete? Absolutely. Do I struggle at times with the temptation of falling back into the old way of life? Yes, I do. And I think each and every one of us could look and say that we struggle from time to time too, and yet none of us are truly being persecuted. None of us are truly being abandoned by our loved ones and our friends and everyone, brothers and sisters of Christ. None of us are being arrested for these things and imprisoned, but yet we struggle with falling away. And in these struggles, the first takeaway that I want us to keep our minds on this morning is this. Make sure that what lies ahead of you is empowering you to get through what's in front of you. So knowing what is ahead of us empowers us to endure what is in front of us. We'll learn later in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that Jesus Christ endured the cross. He endured the suffering, the shame, the pain of the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Folks, I would love to tell you that possessions, money, wealth, health, everything is guaranteed to all of us in here, but it's not. We could experience those things, but the truth this morning is this, our reward is ultimately in heaven. 
Our reward is in Jesus Christ. You see, what should be in front of us is what we're going to see when we're in eternity with Jesus. The life of reward that we have because of living for Jesus Christ. Not the rewards that we have here now. Not the rewards of this current life. Not the enjoyments, the pleasure, the the fun, the happiness that we have currently. Those things are great. And I'm not saying that those are off limits. But what I am telling you is that our joy is never going to be fully experienced in this life. But yet I'm going to set my focus on Jesus Christ and an eternity with him so that when difficult times do come my way when troubles do come my way if I am persecuted if I am in prison if I do have things taken from me if I do have people abandon me in my life because of my faith I want to be able to endure it with joy because what is ahead of me empowers me to endure what's in front of me and that's my prayer for you this morning as well But see, isn't that when our faith is really tested? In those moments when we're really struggling, when we're really facing these things, that's when our faith is really, truly put to the test. And that's going to be the second takeaway this morning, is that greater faith is not empowered by our ability to speak. It's empowered by God anointing what we are saying. Greater faith doesn't come into our lives by the fact that we can speak something or we can say something or we can declare something or that we quote Scripture. Okay, it's not always about us being able to speak. It is about God anointing what we're saying. And how does he do that? How does he anoint what we're saying? Well, number one, he does it through his word. And number two, he does it through his will. By doing God's will and living faithfully for Jesus Christ, then we can know that what we're saying and what we're doing and how we're living is being anointed by God. And that's the third takeaway this morning, is that you can do the will of God. And I want to give you this little bit of a statement here because that always lends to the question of, well, what is the will of God in my life? And while there's differences and different details for all of us, here's a broad brush statement that's going to be true for us, that the will of God can be stated as faithfully following Jesus Christ. In your life, you can follow the will of God by faithfully following Jesus Christ. And that comes by your faith increasing, by being in his word, spending time in prayer, spending time in fellowship and true connectivity and community with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it comes through us focusing on heaven, on that great reward, that joy that's laid before us that we should be enduring everything that's in front of us because of what's ahead of us. Now, let me be very clear. I would love to be rewarded for my faith while I'm here. All right? How many of you enjoy God's blessings in your life? Oh, and you don't have to be shy about it. Listen, if you're all so pious and you really don't want them, I'll take them. He's like, no, that's not the godly thing to do. It's like, I'll take your blessing. That's fine. I want it. But it's that ultimate blessing 
of being with Jesus Christ, worshiping, bowing down at his feet, crying out with the cherubim around his throne, holy, holy, holy. That is what's set ahead of me, and that is the source of my joy, not what's in front of me. So I think that we have to look at, at three different responses here this morning. Whenever we look at the warning, when we look at, you know, the judgment, when we look at the faithful and everything, I think the question, some of them that we have to answer is like, what's in front of us? Truly answer that in your heart this morning. What is in front of you? If what's in front of us should get us beyond anything else, what are we focusing on? If we're looking ahead, if we're looking to Jesus, then what are we looking at? Keep your focus on what's ahead of you. Keep your focus on Him. And be real with yourself this morning when you ask that question of, what am I really focusing on? Because listen, we're all guilty of it, myself included. This past week, myself included, of being guilty of focusing what's on what's in front of me instead of what's ahead of me. Focusing on my situations, focusing on a, a, a something that's going on, focusing on this problem or that problem or this issue instead of focusing on what's ahead. Now, we don't act like what's in front of us doesn't exist by focusing on what's ahead, but we understand that these things that we face are fleeting these things that we face are momentary. As James talks about our life, he says that our life is a vapor. It's a mitt. It, it's just like a little puff of smoke in the midst of eternity. So what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on what's in front of us or what's ahead of us? The second thing that we've got to respond with is what will you do with what's ahead of you? As you answer that question of, what am I focusing on? And Christ, through his word, is telling you that what's ahead of you needs to be eternity, needs to be life in him, needs to be living faithfully for, me, for him, then you need to answer the question of, what will you do with what's ahead of you? Maybe it's even better stated like this. What does Jesus want you to do with what we're talking about today? What does Jesus want you to do with what's ahead of you? And then the final question this morning is, in what areas do you need endurance today? Because the Scripture here declares, it commands us that what you need now is patient endurance. Whenever you hear that phrase, do you feel like that's something that you need in your life right now? Like, I need patient endurance. It's like there's so much going on. There's like this constant whirlwind that we seem to live in, the stress after stress after stress, worry after worry after worry, source of upheaval, source of discontent, source of just sadness and grief and overwhelming loss can, can tend to just come over us. What areas like that are you facing this morning? What areas do you need endurance in your life?